Hey there, thanks for visiting the podcast of the Guelph Vineyard Church. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast using whatever platform you listen on, or visit our website at guelphvineyard.com. Here's this week's message brought to you by our pastor, Chris McQueen. Lord, we, we address you as Lord. I just did it without even thinking about it. And we... Um, we want to make you Lord. We want to sit down from our, our throne and put you there. Or to dismantle um, the seat um, that somebody else is sitting in the, that belongs to you, whether people or idols or whatever. God, we ask that you would do a work in our hearts and that you would um, speak to us and reveal to us what it means to declare and to live that you are Lord in our lives, Lord in our future, Lord in our present. And and I, I will declare on behalf of us corporately, Give the best amen you can you can muster. Um, I declare that we desire to make you Lord of everything, regardless of how expensive that might be to us, regardless of how hard that might be. Um, and so come, Lord, come and take your throne uh, in our lives this morning, we pray. Thank you, Jesus. Pray in your name. Amen. Um, So as we started last week, uh, and for those of you who may not know, we are starting into a a series that we started last week about the Lordship of Jesus. And I I suspect we're going to be living here for probably the next month, possibly more. Um, because I just, I don't think we're going to just get away from it quick. I don't think we're just going to get it locked and loaded and then boom, we're in. Um, I, I think that there's a, a process and, uh, and as I've been processing my own journey, uh, realizing that the Lordship of Jesus is, uh, is, um, it is such a significant part of what it means to follow Jesus, to follow him. A significant part of what salvation looks like is, is the process of Jesus becoming Lord. It's not just getting fire insurance. It's not just making sure that, that, um, you know, that we have uh, uh, an emotional um, felt connection with, with the father or or it's, it's, I mean, it is, it is those things, but, but there's something that is very profound and prophetic. That's a word that keeps coming up for me, which is which is to say the leading future of God, the the, the direction of of everything, has to do with Jesus' lordship, and um, and I I think what I'm witnessing in my own life and story, and also within kind of the church at large, is an evidence that maybe Jesus is not the Lord that we've proclaimed, that that he's not the Lord that we've proclaimed in the way that we've proclaimed. I mean, he is, but that our proclamations haven't quite lined up with what how that practices itself out in our lives and in our understanding of where God is calling us and what, what this thing looks like. So, um, because it's all kind of a, a big, what's the new buzzword, like the word salad thing, right? Like there's just, it, 
it's going to take us a little while to unravel this. And so the invitation this morning is to, is to pull on some of these threads and, uh, and we will see, um, what, how the, how the spirit speaks and leads. Um, so we're going to be talking about the Lordship of Jesus. Uh, and we're going to take a few different, uh, angles and perspectives on that. And that's probably going to, uh, intersect a few different times. I want to start with an opening question here this morning. I'm going to do this a little bit differently. Um, just trying to, you know, always about, uh, I'm always about trying to, um, oh, that's the wrong, there we go. There we go. Okay. I have a question for you. As we, as we talk about Lordship, in a lot of ways, what we're talking about is is some measure of authority, right? To say that somebody is Lord is to say that they have some authority, and so um, you know, as we as we look at the life of Jesus, this is the uh, um, Jesus is is at the center of, of everything for us, right? We take our cues from Jesus; He embodies it for us. He doesn't just tell us. Um, he doesn't just lay down the law, but he models for us what it all looks like. And so um, we look at the life of Christ and how he interacted with powers and authorities and those who might claim a, a kind of lordship. Um, so this, you, so here's what I would love. I would love for you to respond either in the, in, in the uh, chat wall um, or you can unmute yourself and say what you're thinking. Or uh, if you're on Facebook, particularly within the Facebook group, um, the page is not directly monitored, but the group is. Um, let's just ask the question, what, who or what kinds of authorities did Jesus encounter during his life? God the Father. Okay, God, the, that's a that's a that's a great answer. Um, because I'm because of the direct, so that's uh, that's a great one. I'm gonna write that down. Um, so that's uh, yeah. What else? What other authorities did Jesus encounter in his life? His mother. Roman rulers came up there. Uh, his mother. Satan. Satan. All right. Wow. You guys are great. I had like four answers and only one of them is lined. It, this is awesome. This is why this is why doing this together is so much more interesting than just kind of peeking into Chris's brain. What else? The religious leaders. Religious leaders. Oh. Oh, come on. I'm typing on my, on, on my uh, lap here, which is why I'm making typos. Okay, what else? Holy Spirit and wisdom. King Herod. Yeah. This is embarrassing. <laughs> okay, starting to run low on room here, but uh, any other any other thoughts? Okay. Um, pilot, Pontius Pilot. Okay. 
which is sort of sort of within the framework of the Roman rulers. But yeah, with that's that's a, I, I like the, spe the specificity of that. Okay, so um, so here's what I'm gonna here's what I'm gonna do for a minute here. So we have um, there are uh, some really helpful thoughts here with regards to the um, the authorities that Jesus encountered in his life. Um, now, with regards to um, I, I'm I'm gonna kind of distill some of this down. So God the Father um, is is something that is in line with. Um, what I'm going to do is basically get uh, remove those who he was not in conflict with. So we can take a look at uh, this list here. Okay. So um, when I look at Chris, yeah, he was in conflict with his mother because she wanted him to come and leave what he was doing. Remember this he, he, her, she and his sisters and brothers came to try and drag him away from all of that. This so. is correct. Okay, I, I'll put his mother back back onto back onto the list. Um, so um, I'm just going to call up my uh, call up my notes here, and uh, and call up the right the correct set of notes. Here we go. So the question that I have right now, with regards to with regards to this list, and uh, we've we've already started to kind of unpack that a little bit. But what was his relationship to the rulership that's reflected here, the authority that's reflected uh, here? Um, with the exception of his mom, um, these. Uh, these who claimed rulership and authority over others, uh, they all tried to kill Jesus um, as successfully, I might add. Um, there is uh, this thing that takes place when we start talking about the, the, uh, the authority and the lordship of Jesus that is something that exists in it, it is in fundamental conflict with something. Um, and I believe that this is true every time. And, and uh, as Nikki pointed out, even his relationship with his, with his mother, though respectful um, was not without some measure of conflict when, at least with regards to, uh, to authority. And, um, and so this is one of those this is one of those things where when I when I at least contemplate Jesus lordship in in my life um, the the challenge that I find is that in a lot of ways uh, it the declaration that Jesus is lord does not on its face create conflict in my life I can do that and at best, I might endure, if I'm in a particular context or circle, I might endure some ridicule, possibly. Um, but the, the conflict level is pretty is pretty low, right? We don't really live. I mean, this is because um, because it's a personal decision. It's a personal it's a personal con conviction, right? And um, but when I look at Jesus' relationship 
with with the rulers of of kind of the age in the age in his culture and time um there is a, a disruption that takes place all the time consistently where jesus lordship starts to exert itself and by the way we don't want to forget the fact that the exertion of his lordship looks a lot different than the exertion of the lordship of of these other rulers and authorities which is something that we're going to talk about on another sunday there's only so many things we can kind of unpack at one time um, but it's, it's worth bearing, it's worth remembering um, that. But as Jesus begins to step into this lordship, um, there he is proclaiming something that is, that is an alternative to, to the powers that be. And that alternative always creates disruption in those, every time it creates disruption. Um, it upsets the status quo. Uh, no one walks away from the Lordship of Jesus unscathed, unchanged, unchallenged. That's just not the way that it works. Um, and uh, there's this sense that where Jesus is in authority, there isn't room for, for a sharing to take place there. Um, you know, as, as you know, we've seen in, in a conversation where Jesus is talking about money and, um, I'm afraid I don't have the, the reference exactly present, but he says, what you can't, he says, you can't serve both God and money. You can't serve two masters. You can't do it. Right. And he goes on further to say, you know, not just that it's an indifference thing, you know, you serve one to the indifference of the other, but he says you serve one and you have to hate the other one. Like there's a polarity, there's a there's an incompatibility that is at work in the lordship of, of Jesus. And um, and so, you know, this is uh, Adrian uh, sort of got me on to um, a, a, a guy, he's, he's sort of part of the, the, the missional sort of church, a guy named Alan Hirsch. And I'm just going to call up a, a quote here um, by, by him. You know, living under the lordship of Jesus requires that we bring all elements into relation with him. We cannot exclude dimensions from God's concern, or we create dark zones that invite the idols to enslave us. There is a, a, a kind of, um, to, there's a completeness to the work of Jesus and to his lordship that is really hard to embody is what I'm finding. And, and what I'm, what I'm seeing is that in my own life and in the life of, of others and kind of at the church with the church in, at large is that there is a contest for, um, for, uh, allegiance for, um, what I would call fealty, which is like basically that it's that I, I have, I am, um, I am, I've thrown my lot in with this way of being. And, um, and Jesus requires us to to completely uh, hand 
hand over everything through his through his framework, right? And um, and what's interesting is that there wasn't a, there was not any earthly rulership. And actually, maybe that would have been a more helpful frame for the question earlier was like earthly authority. Um, there was no earthly authority system that was in place that was comfortable with what Jesus brought. It didn't exist. Every, every earthly kind of authority that Jesus encountered was upset by him and was threatened by him. So that existed on a civic level right? Like, let's call it a bit more of a local level. I mean, you got Jesus um, uh, almost getting thrown off a cliff when he, when he speaks in his own, um, uh, got, you know, in, in, in his own synagogue, right? His local synagogue. You have the local um, King Herod in the birth of Christ um, is, is so um, un- disturbed by the appearance of the, not just the, just the idea of Jesus, that there's this mass slaughter that takes place to try to extinguish whatever it was that Jesus was bringing, right? Um, you know, you have uh, you have the religious authorities, uh, and and not just one sect either, right? You have you have the Pharisees and you have the Sadducees and you have like no one is comfortable. None of the authorities are comfortable with what Jesus is bringing or how he is bringing it. He is creating conflict. And interestingly enough, I don't know if you've thought about this a whole lot or, you know, but, um, uh, you know, even the, the religious rulership that was closest to his theology, does anyone know? Um, I mean, it requires a bit of, a bit of depth and study, but does anyone know offhand, like you got, let's look at Sadducees and Pharisees. These are the two kind of common groups that are referred to. Um, does anyone know who was close, most closely aligned with Jesus in in theological thinking? I think the Pharisees, didn't the Sadducees believe that there was no no resurrection or no afterlife? That's right. That's right. And um, and in fact, they also didn't accept the prophets. Uh, the Sadducees did not accept the prophets, so they were basically just like the Pentateuch, just the, the, the books of the law, and that and that was it, right? Um, and so Jesus had actually a fair alignment with the Pharisees, and who was he the hardest on? <laughs> you know, um, he was pretty hard on 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 the people who most closely aligned in a lot of ways with, or who should have, let's say, aligned um, with him. And so he he just was not he did not seem to be in the business of keeping friends with with powers. Right. And um, uh, this is this is a really important thing to, to recognize is that there is an inversion, actually, that is that is steady and that takes that takes place um, from Luke uh, one um, verses 51 to 53. And I, I don't have the passage to throw up on the screen here. Um but this is from Mary's song, right? We understand this as Mary's Magnificat. And this is her response to the, what God is doing in, in, in the person and the promise of her son, of Jesus. Mary says, he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low degree. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. And the thing, I mean, there's a lot that we can pull out of out of that. It's it's a it's a powerful text, but the upsetness of the lordship of Jesus is key, right? 
The powerful are upturned. The powerful have lost their thrones is, is an understanding of, of this, of the Lordship of Jesus. Um, and so I have in my notes here a phrase that I like. Uh, there is no throne on earth that's vacant. Power abhors a vacuum all the time. There's no throne that's vacant. Uh, you have a throne in your life. I have a throne in my life. Um, and it, it is occupied. And even in, even in what they call failed states, so just getting into political terms here, even what you call failed states, where there is not a centralized system of governance for, for a nation, guess what? The power void gets filled, right? And it, and it looks like tribalism. It looks like warlords. It looks like there's always, there will, every kind, every opportunity where there is a seat of power, it gets filled. There is a no vacancy sign on every seat of power on earth. This is, um, I, I think this is categorically true. I invite you to push back. Um, but, uh, but I'm pretty sure as I've thought about it, that, that, uh, I, I can say this with certainty. So if that's true, that there's no vacancy in any seat of power anywhere, Interestingly enough, the only vacancy that I can think of, we talked about last week when they're trying to figure out who's worthy to crack open the seals and they, and they find the slain lamb and he's worthy. It's almost like in that there's a moment where there's almost a vacancy in the seat of heaven, which is a, that's an interesting thing. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to make a big theology out of that, but it's just a fascinating when you think about the meekness of the way that the, the way that the Lord works, but the world is under authority. This is my point. It's always under authority. And it's always true, right? Regardless of how the, how that government or that power or that authority manages itself. Um, you know, and uh, the, so the, the Lordship of Jesus, it's important that we understand that it is actually not of this earth. It's not from our system. And this is something that I've learned recently which doesn't sound like this should be a revelatory thing, but um, I'm going to get there in a minute. Whenever Jesus takes lordship, he's displacing something. He's displacing a, a ruler. He's displacing an authority. He's not good at cohabitating in this context. Right. That's a challenging thing to think about. Jesus isn't, Jesus is in the process of upsetting and displacing powers and authorities of this world, the things that govern us. The values that govern us. If he is to truly be Lord, right? And there is no scenario where kingdoms transition without friction right i mean we have seen uh in our time what it looks like for uh for you know there be to be a peaceful transfer of power so this is something that we're actually familiar with in western democracy and 
you know, this is, this is a, a value. Um, but understand that that's a very rare kind of scenario historically, for one thing. And, uh, and even in the context of a transfer of power, I would suggest that it, it's, it's not a transfer of, of, of a system. One system displacing another is always going to create conflict, right? Rather than just one political party stepping into leadership and the other moving into an oppositional role. That's a, that's a different kind of a thing. And so in some way, the challenge is that I find that I, um, I want to measure the Lordship of Jesus by my experience of peace and joy and love and, and the sort of good feeling emotions. And, and yet what I see in the scriptures and what I see as I look at history is that actually Lordship coming and taking place is actually disruptive and creates a sense of conflict. That that's, in, that's an intuitive part of what this, of what this looks like. Um, as I've been mentioning, I've been reading a guy named Walter Brueggemann lately. Uh, we'll reference him a, a few times uh, in, the, in, the, in, the coming, in the coming weeks. But he has this to say, very early, very early, Jesus is correctly perceived as a clear and present danger to the order of the day. And this is the problem with the, the promissory newness, the, the promise of newness that comes with the gospel. It never promises without threatening. It never begins without ending something. It never gives gifts without also assessing harsh costs, right? There's always an exchange that the kingdom brings. And this is an important thing. It always brings newness. It brings newness and it brings the, the, the rulership of Jesus brings newness and, and, and freedom. And even though we might think that we really like those things, we almost never actually do. Right? We like things to be exciting and fresh, but something that is new is petrifying because we don't know what's going to happen next. We don't have a control over it or a handle on it, right? And we think we want freedom, but what we actually want are protections. Freedom is entirely different because freedom, freedom gives us tremendous responsibility. How many of you want somebody to blame in your life? Raise your hands. You're not raising your hand. You're lying to me. We all want somebody to blame, right? And you can't blame anyone in a free, in a truly free environment, because if you're truly free, guess what? All of the responsibility is on your shoulders. We don't do well with freedom. We don't actually do well with newness. And the kingdom comes in as a flourishing of both of those things, right? And, and so let's think about this for a second. Um, and I'm guilty of this. I want to start this way. I'm guilty of this without even realizing it. I never would have, I never would have said I believed this until I, until I started to question and interrogate my own emotional response to things, politics or whatever. I accidentally started believing that God's kingdom was going to show up through systems of the earth's power that looked a little bit more like the kingdom than other ones. And so I have had moments where my sense of allegiance has been to that political or, or, or that kind of leadership or that kind of authority that, that looks a little bit like the kingdom. So I start looking for the kingdom in those places, right? Mm. Jesus could have done that with the Pharisees. He could have taken the, he could have taken the Pharisaical kind of system of belief and he could have, and he could have renovated it. 
He could have renovated it. He could have transformed it. And he could have, he could have birthed his kingdom from within the context of what they believed and held to be true. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He upset that cart and he came with something entirely new, right? The kingdom is not a child of anything that we can conceive of, right? The kingdom, the authority of Jesus, it will inherit. It doesn't inherit. It's, uh, his authority is not inherited from any of our systems, right? It's entirely other. It is entirely different. It's entirely new. And so, you know, on some level, I am, you know, this, I realize that this isn't quite as central for us right now in Canada, because we're not dealing with, you know, this extraordinarily volatile um, uh, election or whatever. We came pretty close to, I mean, we did, we did come up to um, the confidence vote in the government this past week, you know, so we may have been going to the polls. Um, but the partisanship that I see in the church at large, and I do see it in the Canadian context too, and I feel it in my own my own thing, the partisanship that thinks that my side is more closely aligned with the purposes of God is a total subversion of what God is doing in this world, because it's not the way it's coming. It's not coming through these means. It is connected to entirely the purposes of the kingdom of God. That is our allegiance, right? And, um, you know, The Lordship of Jesus serves no other master. It does not serve any political system. Um, what I recognized in the past while is that um, Western democracy means something to me. I have a, I, I, I like it. I like it in its best moments. Certainly like it to the alternatives. And, uh, and when I, and when I look at some of the, um, you know, without getting into, when I look at, at the, at the, some of the rhetoric that I'm, that I'm hearing in general, it causes me anxiety, right? It causes me anxiety. And I've been, I've been interrogating that anxiety significantly lately. Where is this anxiety coming from? Right? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord is, is as in his lordship in the church that is under authoritarian rule or communist rule or no rule or by which I mean warlords. I mean, it's as he is here. So, so I, this is, this are some of the things I've been looking at and going like, why, you know, my attachment is to Jesus as Lord. This is what I'm feeling compelled and drawn to. No vacancy. The Lordship of Jesus does not inherit you know, we, we don't, it's, it's not like a, this, this transfer thing, like he comes and he sits on the throne. And so I've been asking other questions too. If we're talking about a displacement of power, displacements of authority when Jesus becomes Lord, then what does that look like practically? Where does that show up? 
because this has to matter practically. The Lordship of Jesus is not an idea. The Lordship of Jesus is a reality. It's an alternate reality, right? But where does, where does it show up? And, and more particularly because, um, you know, this is sneaky stuff. This is sneaky stuff when, when we subtly start to have our, our understanding of Jesus as Lord start to serve other masters. It's subtle. It's really hard to identify. It's happened to me a number of times where I've realized that I have subverted the authority of Jesus under some other authority, and it's been, and it's been super sneaky in how that's happened. And so I had a bit of an aha moment. I don't think I have the, I don't think I have the secret sauce to figuring this out, but I did have an aha moment this week. Um, you know, I, not everyone on the call has heard me talk about this, but um, uh, so I'll, I'll repeat myself um, for, for your sake. So um, I've been really surprised at some of the things that I found myself missing in this new, strange COVID-y world, right? And I've commented a number of times that I, I have found myself missing them all. Like I really would, you know, I, 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 there's a part of me apparently that enjoys going to a mall and walking around and maybe even buying stuff, right? Now, I would have been certain in my um, belief that that is not me uh, seven months ago. I would have said that I was anti those things, right? I, I, I decried the powers of consumerism at work in our society. But then I find myself stripped of some of those and longing for something there, right? And so I've been like, what, what is that? What's going on here? And, uh, and I was having a conversation with my spiritual director this week, which um, I highly recommend as a practice. Uh, I would recommend absolutely everybody uh, get a spiritual director at some point. It's such a valuable journey. We can talk about that another time. It's not as woo-woo it's not as, woo-woo as it sounds. Um, I was having this conversation, just kind of narrating, and, and I used the word nostalgia. I, was, I realized that what I was feeling was a series of nostalgias right? I was feeling nostalgic for the normal that existed within a mall or something like this. And, uh, but I, I kept on, I kept on thinking and processing. And, um, and I recognized that there is actually a tension that exists between the newness of the Lordship of Christ which actually doesn't, it, it, it remembers, but it doesn't look back to find its future. There's no nostalgia in the Lordship of Jesus. He's not yearning for a different, older, better time. He's pulling us forward. There's newness. And so there's a tension between the newness of what God is doing in our time and the nostalgia that I feel in in what I in what I remember, and here's the other thing. And you, have you guys ever noticed that nostalgia always lies? Nostalgia always has a big fat eraser. That you know, like I was feeling super nostalgic for like Thanksgiving dinner this year, right? This in the last few days, I was just really feeling that. And it's not all it's not all bad. Like I'm not going to say that's a bad thing, but I can tell you that. The way that I remember Thanksgiving dinners, never once was there as uncomplicated a dinner as what 
I feel you're I'm yearning for and think that I'm remembering. It's a, it's it's not a truth teller, right? But it is an interesting revealer to me when it comes to this issue of of lordship. Because it's something that we're reaching back for, something that we're trying to protect and to preserve. And um and I'm being increasingly convicted. Again, not, not by way of creating a sense of amnesia with who we are, or where we've been, or what God has done. But I'm increasingly, increasingly convicted that the Lordship of Jesus is entirely about where he's leading and, who he, and how he's leading and who he is and what it means for him to be, to be a, the, kind of, the kind of Lord and the kind of King that I don't actually have a reference point for. Because he is, he's entirely other. Can't really compare him to any kind of rulership. Right? That creates a lot of space. And really quickly, because I know I'm running low on time here, but I do quickly, with this whole nostalgia piece, this, I can anchor this in the scriptures. Um, I, Israel, uh, I, twice at least, um, once in Exodus, uh, about two months after they were freed, and then and then again in Numbers later on in the story. Israel feels nostalgia, powerful nostalgia. Does anyone know what Israel is nostalgic? The people is, are what they're nostalgic for. They're nostalgic for the authority and the consistency of Pharaoh, because Pharaoh meant food. Pots of meat, right? Also yeah. a visible manifestation of God because they made a golden calf. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think I so even so I I, I think that there's. There's still work to be done here, but I, I think that there's something in this that we can ask questions. We can. I want to use the word interrogate our nostalgias, particularly in this time where COVID has taken some things away from us, to interrogate, to ask good questions of our nostalgic yearnings and to see if maybe we can't get some clarity as to an area where Jesus can step into lordship, right? Um, you know, back to my back to my weird fascination with malls, you know, and my nostalgic yearning to walk around a place that is in control. Where there's a good aesthetic that serves me. The aesthetic is there to make me feel better about myself and to put me at the center of the story. And there are clear lines of, of transaction. I think I miss those things. I think that like metal, they carry on significance for me. And so as part of my journey right now is to invite the Lord to be Lord and to step into some of those things that I, that I long for. And I look and I go, you know, maybe Egypt wasn't so bad. Maybe consumerism wasn't so bad. Maybe consumerism, it turns out is a Pharaoh that I'm, that I'm yearning for that. I didn't think that I would Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> Catherine saying, yeah, yeah, that's, that's not, that's, that's not an, un, that's not an unfair thought. Okay, I'm going to wrap this up. Um, 
there's more to say about this, but I want to close. I want to close by reflecting this morning as we think about how Jesus displaces power, how he displaces when he comes in as Lord. It's a displacement. And here's what I want to I want to read the words of Jesus here or reflections of his disciples. In Mark 1, 27, the people say this, and they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? What is this? A new teaching. There's this sense that Jesus steps into a space and he brings something new. Again, in Mark 4, 41. Disciples. And they were filled with awe and said to one another, who is this then that even the wind and the sea obey him? Something new, something unprecedented, something unexpected. And finally, for this morning, again from Mark. And many who heard him, Jesus, were astonished, saying, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom given to him? What mighty works are wrought by his hands? Something new, something unexpected, right? And so, so this morning, again, it's like this homework thing, right? Um, we don't get here through a cognitive understanding where some teacher uh, lays out how this thing works and then you just go and like apply it. Uh, this is all a leading question. Um, so the work for us this morning is to ask uh, good questions of our yearnings to go backwards, um, to ask good questions of those areas where we feel really comfortable in how our followership of Jesus overlaps with our life in the world. That doesn't feel super compatible when I start looking at how Jesus operates. So interrogating our comfort and interrogating our nostalgia. Does that sound like a fun week? Does that sound like fun homework? Absolutely not. Marianne's, you know, for those who can't see on Marianne's shaking her head no, and she's got the perfect straight, straight mouth, like the, the that's, that's the perfect expression, it's honest. But I do think that on the other side of this, the Lordship of Jesus is going to revitalize um, our understanding of what it means to be a people, what it means to step into the purposes of the kingdom, and what it means to actually be unhooked from the anxieties that the world wants to continue to throw us into, right? Because the, the tether to the kingdom is, is it, it is not anxiety-ridden. It might have conflict and tension and discomfort, but it's not, it's not anxiety-ridden. It's all about protecting and preserving and, and um it's freedom. And I think that what the, the Lord being our Lord is actually going to transform this church and the church. And I think that's part of the gift of this crazy time.
So that's what I got for this morning. Um, I'm just going to pray a closing prayer to uh, um, sign off from the Facebook feeds and uh, YouTube and such, and then we can we can connect here on continue to connect on the Zoom call for those who have time. Lord, thank you um, that you come as you do. That you are. Um, thank you that you are Lord. Thank you that you are Lord, but no tyrant. God, we, um, we pray that you'd give us the wisdom to recognize when there are other authorities that are trying to govern us. Uh, Lord, we ask that you give us the wisdom to recognize when we are yearning for uh, other authorities to come back and to govern us once more. And Lord, I pray that this week, uh, even today, um, I ask that there would be a moment where you would um, invite us towards an action that reflects your lordship rather than rather than whatever that alternative is. God, that the rubber would hit the road for us. And how we treat our kids, maybe, and how we respond to our work workplace, and how we reflect on our friends, and how we reflect on the least. I don't know, but Lord, that your lordship would come, and that you would, through your invitation and your call, um, be manifest in our life this way. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>